All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At close of business, news briefing. Good afternoon, it's Jacinta Burton with your Monday afternoon headlines. Monadelphus has today announced four major changes to its leadership, including the retirement of Chairman John Rubino, bringing to an end his extraordinary 30-year partnership with Rob Velletri. The engineering and construction contractor has promoted Mr Velletri to executive chairman. The company also announced the retirement of long-serving non-executive director Peter Dempsey. The pair had jointly led Monadelphus for more than three decades, with the company company growing to become one of Australia's largest and most successful contractors. It employs almost 8,000 people across its operations in Australia, Chile, China, Mongolia, Papua New Guinea and the Philippines. The stability at the top of the company contrasts with most other ASX companies, where the average tenure of chief executives is closer to seven years. Mr Rubino joined Monadelphus at the tail end of the 1980s, when the contractor came close to collapse. He was appointed managing director and chair in 1991 and became executive chair in 2003. The company said the 77-year-old was retiring for health reasons but would not elaborate. And in property news, Perth real estate fund manager Prime West has rebranded to Centuria following its $600 million merger with the Sydney-based group last year. Since the company's merged in April, Centuria Capital has grown its WA workforce by 37% to 85 employees and with assets under management of $4.2 billion. Centuria's WA real estate platform now makes up 22% of the group's national portfolio. Prime West founders John Bond, Jim Littis and David Schwartz intend to stay on as the company's WA team, with the company confirming today the trio had no plans to step down. Centuria's shares were up 1.29% today to trade at $1.56. And tributes have poured in for late mining veteran Peter Bradford, who has been praised by his peers as an inspiring leader and a visionary of the state's mining community. The IGO chief executive and respected industry leader died suddenly on Saturday at the age of 64. Members of WA's close-knit mining community have expressed their condolences and shared memories of Mr Bradford following his passing. Amex CEO Warren Pearce said Mr Bradford would be remembered as a man who had a great love for his industry and the people in it. And coming up next, political editor Gary Adset delves into what the Triple C has revealed about dealings between two major professional services firms and the Department of Communities. We understand that business relies on being informed. That's why Business News is your most reliable source of news, industry insights and business connections. To stay fully informed, we encourage you to subscribe to our emails, flick through our magazine and visit businessnews.com.au for daily news updates. It's the best way to ensure you have the information you need to be future ready. Business News. More news, more insights, more connections. Welcome back to our Close of Business. I'm Jordan Murray and today I'm joined by political editor Gary Adsed. Gary, how are you today? Uh, very well, thanks, Jordan. That's good to hear. Now, we're talking today about something unpleasant. It seems to be a recurring theme with you on this podcast, Gary. We talk about some matter of public policy disturbed by outside forces and sometimes internal forces, and this story is a mixture of both. It relates to a recent report by the Triple C. 
It uh, is the subject of your latest opinion piece for business news, and it's something that you call a page turner for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Well, because once again, it's about the Department of Communities, and the Department of Communities, for people that aren't aware, are supposed to have a mission to deal with homelessness in WA, child abuse in WA, and other very sensitive areas to protect and enhance policy around the community. In this instance, it's about two uh, workers within the Department of Communities, one who was actually on the books as a public servant, the other one who was a contractor for quite a period of time within the department, and their job was to look at value-for-money projects, how to save money for the department. And what they used to do... Uh, was uh, give all the contracts to two particular companies, Grant Thornton and Minter Ellison, around accounting and around legal matters. And uh, in return for giving them those contracts worth about $7.2 million, uh, they received $111,000 in gifts, accommodation, travel and other largesse like uh, restaurants and so on. It's disgraceful and this department obviously is riddled with issues, a department that really should be looking after people, not themselves. And this report details a litany of admittedly very stunning behaviour on the part of many individuals. You talk about some of these allegations in your piece. For the sake of today though, could you just give me a broad brush of what's alleged to have occurred? So uh, one of the particular people from the department had worked at Grant Thornton for quite a period of time and so when they became a a government worker, uh, they stuck to their old company and would facilitate contracts for that for Grant Thornton in this instance uh, by telling them what the other um, companies had bid uh, by breaching other um, protocols that they shouldn't within the public service. Uh, they would just make sure that Grant Thornton was happy getting all the contracts, same with Minter Ellison, and in return they were getting you know, showered with gifts and so on. Um, It's cringeworthy, some of it. It it becomes a running joke uh, for one of the public servants because they actually send emails to a a managing partner at Grant Thornton saying, hey, we want to have lunch here, bring a big credit card. I mean, it's just horrible stuff. Uh, And then always in the emails reminding Grant Thornton or Minter Ellison of, of how much money they've got out of the government through contracts, you know. Don't forget million-dollar client. It had been going on for seven years too, which makes it even worse. And then when they got caught, one of them had the gall to say, well, you know, I've been working in an apartment for for seven years where the bloke at the very top is stealing money. So there you go. Like that, the Paul White issue is what we're talking about, the guy who stole $22 million of money from taxpayers through the Department of Communities, who was an acting director-general, a deputy director-general, and was rorting the system so that he could uh, put racehorses onto tracks, buy nice houses and so on. So you've got this woman who says, well, he was up to no good for years, so what do you expect? I don't know what's going to happen off the back of it. I was going to ask you later on, but I'll bring it up now, and that's how Paul White figures into this saga. It's almost as if he set the standard for the degradation of ethics within the department. Possibly, but then you've got to go backwards and wonder whether uh, these two particular um, uh, people at the department knew that Paul White was acting criminally. If they didn't, then they're just using it as an excuse now retrospectively aren't they they're not they weren't aware if he was up to any any bad um, practices but now they're saying oh well what do you expect you know we were run by a bloke who was a crook no it's not good enough but we can talk about the public servants all we like let's talk about a couple of corporate bodies that should know better
than what they were doing. Minter Ellison, global law firm, they are willingly going along with the fact that if they shower these people with what they need, that they'll get government money. Don't, don't they get charged? Doesn't that c- company get charged in some way? Some of the people that were acting there, some of the people that were acting at Grant Thornton, it's not good enough that they just left. Sure, they've left because this report was coming down and was going to be quite damning. But surely if you go out of your way to use the fact that you've got public servants who are more than willing to have the wheels greased, then you are as culpable, particularly when you're talking about global law firms that clearly should know better. Your article actually had me thinking when I read this uh, about a debate in Canberra at the minute, and that's whether the proposed NACC should be looking at third parties, as the Federal Attorney-General has said will be the case. I know there's a bit of uh, consternation over whether that should or shouldn't be the case. sounds like you come down on the side of definitely. Yeah, I I heard uh, the Attorney-General, the Federal Attorney-General, speaking uh, on the weekend, actually, about some of the powers that this new Federal uh, Corruption Commission would have. Now, we're not saying that it plays into this particular case, but he said that it's pretty obvious that if um, third-party entities are going out of their way to assist in the corruption of public officers or politicians or whatever it may be, then yes, they will come under the mandate of a, of a federal body. I'm, I suppose I'm wondering why they haven't come under, in this case, they haven't come under the auspices of the Triple C because the Triple C say uh, that that they have spoken to, obviously, and interviewed people at Minter Ellison and at Grant Thornton, but uh, people have left the company and because they're not, the Corruption and Crime Commission is not interested in the private sector per se, uh, it doesn't sound like... that will be pursued much more. I would argue that if they're going to go and charge either of those two people who work within the department or worked within the department, then surely the people that were enabling them to commit these acts should also be looked at. It's not good enough to just say, right, well, we've done a report on this, uh, we draw a line under this one and move on. I don't think it is because clearly if you had those two people within one department able to do this so brazenly, then it could be going on elsewhere. And just as a matter of record, what has the Triple C said of these two public servants we're talking about? All right, well, in in relation to uh, one of them, the one who actually worked as a public servant as opposed to a contractor, uh, they have found them to have committed serious misconduct at this stage, in their opinion. Uh, Same with the other person who's a contractor, but because they're a contractor, there's a technicality around whether they fit within the public service and therefore are are able to be pursued. I will argue that they will be able to be pursued. But we don't know whether from the Triple C report, WA Police or any other agency have gone, we'll, we'll look at now um, putting charges on these people. Look, you know, it, yes, OK, you could say the job's been done because the signal's there now to all those other people that work that this is not acceptable, that you just literally ask for restaurant bookings, you ask for flights, you ask for hotels, you ask for other things and you get them. It's not acceptable, and so the message has got out there, but surely there's got to be bigger consequences than that. I mean, we, we are talking $7.2 million of taxpayers' money, which was, which was going to these, these, agent, these organisations uh, without the sort of due process that should normally happen under tendering rules, etc. 
To read more on this one, pick up the latest edition of Business News or head online now to businessnews.com.au. Gary, thank you so much. Cheers. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.